0: Hello and welcome to episode 26 of the Haiku Chronicle podcast. I'm Patricia, your host, and I'm documenting my year learning about and writing haiku, sharing what I learn with you so that together we can become better haiku poets. Thanks very much for your feedback from last week. It seems that the relationship of haiku with pain and healing is a connection that many people can understand from their own experience. This week I'm celebrating the halfway mark of the year I'm dedicating to haiku. I'll talk about that in a minute. We'll be visiting Australia in the company of Giddy Nielsen Sweep, and I'll be having a little rant. Let's start with some of the things, but not all by any means, that I've learnt so far this year. Writing haiku is hard, much harder than I thought. I've tried not to let that put me off, and have continued to write every day, even though the more I learn, the more difficult it becomes to write. I often dictate haiku into my phone as I'm taking one of my walks, and then, when I sit down to write them, I feel like a rabbit in the headlights. My pen feels like a lump of concrete in my hand. As a result of all that I've read and the interaction with other haiku poets, I'm much harder on myself in the evaluation of my haiku than I was at the beginning. That's probably a good thing. Those of you who have been following the daily haiku section of my website, poetryp.com, will see that it's now become a best of the week, because so many of the haiku I write have not yet come to the standard that I can share them with you. Or at least, that I feel I can share them with you. Maybe this is a mistake. What do you think? I discovered early on that you don't have to write haiku in the 575 format. This, of course, is the traditional way of writing haiku. Most of us learn this method at school, or in our first discovery of the art. And I was no different. I didn't learn about haiku at school, but I learnt instead from my children's schooling. They were taught the five-seven-five method, and in effect, so was I. When I first started writing haiku in earnest, it was very, very hard to give this up. It felt like a failing, or, um a betrayal, but when eventually I did, it was very liberating. Another thing that was hard to give up was the flowery poetical devices that I learnt at school. I'll give you an example with some excerpts from one of my all-time favourite poems, The Listener by Walter de la Mer, and his horse in the silence champed the grasses of the forest's ferny floor, or stood listening in the quiet of the moonlight to that voice from the world of men, stood thronging the faint moonbeams on the dark stair that goes down to the empty hall, hearkening in an air stirred and shaken by the lonely traveller's call. You'll probably understand listening to that, how difficult it was for me to keep the haiku simple and not rely on things like adjectives. In haiku... It's better to let the reader exercise their imagination. Letting them find their own meaning, and not leading them, was very difficult for me at first. Perhaps I'm now guilty of going too far the other way. That, I hope, will improve as I get better at editing. Early on in the year, someone very kindly took me to one side and informed me that the only thing that is capitalised in a haiku is a proper noun. I was mortified, because actually had I been taking notice of the haiku I'd been reading, this was blindingly obvious. These are just a small selection of things that I've learnt. I hope by the end of my year I'll have a set of rules that will help me write consistently better haiku. Now on to a topic that intrigues me. Collective consciousness and haiku. What do you think the point of haiku is? I tend to think of it as capturing small instances of our lives and sharing them with others, evoking some emotional response or an aha moment. Now, whilst the haiku remained in Japan or conformed to the rules of Japanese haiku, then there was a code by which you could understand them. Writing within one culture for one culture, it was possible that most people would understand your haiku. There were certain words which would give you a clue as to what season it was, certain symbols that indicated the cut. But haiku has escaped from Japan. We in the West have appropriated the haiku, and as Charles Trumbull suggests, the elaborate seasonal understanding that developed in Japan exports badly to the West. I think I've alluded to this in the past. Now that the haiku is global, we cannot have a shared or collective consciousness. For example, take the camellia. Trumbull points out in his essay for the New Zealand Haiku Society that to the Japanese, the blossoms symbolise sudden death, undoubtedly because they suddenly drop from the bush. Whilst in the West, insofar as they symbolise anything, the camellia is a symbol of excellence and steadfastness. I have to admit that it symbolises nothing to me apart from a beautiful perfume. I'd love to know your opinion. Do you write in a symbolic way? Or do you capture these small instances of your life using words that are meaningful to you without regard for the meaning in other cultures or countries? As I was doing the research for this podcast, I found a study undertaken in the 60s by James and Gail Bull to judge seasonal understanding in various geographical regions they came to this conclusion. As any kind of art must evoke emotion, and as emotion cannot be evoked but in terms of a work's substance, and as haiku substance is not a little dependent upon natural phenomena and experience thereof, from a seasonal point of view, the full emotional dimension of a given haiku is likely to be lost on a vast segment of the population. I wonder, if you extrapolate this further, to cover the meaning of experiences described within the haiku, does this mean that a great number of the global population will not understand your haiku because they have not experienced that of which you speak? Maybe take that a step further. If we're to share experiences globally, must we write haiku only about things which are contained within our global consciousness? I'll give you Instagram as an example. The most popular photos on Instagram seem to be things we all understand. You know, the the beauty of a leaf, of sunlight, wonderful sunsets or dawns. All these things are beautiful, but the idea of limiting my haiku to collective consciousness topics, feelings or experiences depresses me somewhat. I like to think that reading haiku expands the mind. That we read haiku and we're prepared to be challenged by what we read. To learn new things we've not experienced. That means we often have to read and reread haiku to glean the information we need to come to a meaningful conclusion. Not to swipe away the haiku because its meaning is not immediately apparent, or the experience is not one which you share. What do you think? I'll leave you with this thought. From any poet at any time, it's possible to discover poems that are profound. Meaningful or affecting, if we are prepared to give them a sympathetic hearing. Okay, rant over. Let's move on. Let's go to Australia, where we meet Giddy Nielsen-Sweep again. But before I go on, I have to say congratulations to her. She was published in the latest Chicada's Cry. They're now taking submissions for the summer issue, but you need to get going. They close at the end of the month. Well done, Giddy. Giddy has started her own haiku group in Brisbane, the Bombora Group, and she tells me that things are going well so far. You may also remember that Giddy and her editor Dawn are putting together a book, Breathe Haiku. They've discovered that they actually have too much content for one book, so we'll begin with a book containing Australian haiku only. I'll keep you posted on its progress. Today, Giddy is sharing this with us. Sleeping alone, curlew cries outside, I cry inside. Now I don't have any experience of a curlew, but I've substituted the cry of a lone bird from my part of the world, and this poem just breaks my heart. Can you feel it too? This haiku has, in my humble opinion, found the collective consciousness successfully. Why? Because, as Michael Dylan Welsh says, The goal of haiku is frequently to create an emotion. So if you have a feeling of sadness or joy or melancholy or some other emotion in reaction to a particular haiku, that's really the point. And to close, I'll offer you something of my own. I was in London not so long ago. It's my hometown, as many of you know, and I was visiting friends and family. When I'm in London now, I absolutely, truly delight in being a tourist, and this time I spent some time in the city, the part of London that is its financial centre. It really has so much history to explore. I'd recommend it heartily. Indeed, if any of you are going, send me an email. I'll give you some ideas of where to look. The weather was unseasonably warm, and I watched a homeless woman sitting on the pavement wriggling her toes in the warmth while the workers walked past her. And this was the resulting haiku. A homeless woman wiggles her bare toes. Stilettos walk by. Can you see the picture? And going back to my previous rant, can you feel the emotion or sense the emotion? Anyway, I hope you enjoy it. Remember, I'm still accepting submissions for the memory special until May the 23rd. You'll find a submissions page on the website poetryp.com. Thank you for listening. I promise no ranting next week when we'll be off to Canada with our guest haiku poet. All the links from today's podcast are on the show notes on the website. Take care and keep on writing. See you next week.